kill you. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Auntie Nanny. It's Monday night, a little bit past six, but not much. And uh, let's see, in the news today, Nancy Reagan died. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people were very big fans of hers. I'm not so much a big fan of hers. I think a lot of what happened with the drug war kind of rested on the shoulders of some of the work she did. Um, and maybe with the passing of Ms. Reagan, we can get to the point where that's not an issue anymore. And that's, that's a horrible way to remember someone, I guess. But I could say worse things, I guess. Um, so this is kind of funny. Um, Congress appalled by feds hundreds of missing guns. The federal government received a bipartisan bashing Wednesday for losing track of hundreds of guns and grenade launchers that were donated to police departments. The General Services Administration had transferred more than 98,000 firearms to state and local police departments since 1999, but many of those weapons have later turned up for sale at gun stores or been stolen, according to government watchdog. Congress is outraged. This is not rocket science, said Representative Mark Meadows, Republican of North Carolina. I don't understand how something so simple can't be done, he said. We can put a man on the moon, and yet we can't track firearms. An Inspector General's report issued between June 2015 found that 485 firearms have gone missing. Only 24 have been recovered, while the rest remain on the loose. During the first hearing on the matter, lawmakers from both sides of the aisle expressed concern. Representative Buddy Carter of Georgia said it is appalling that the federal government would lose track of the firearms. This is my concern, Carter said. Here we have a federal agency that is only dedicated to registering and controlling firearms, yet they don't even know how many they have. They don't know where they are, and they don't know who has them. The GSA's Surplus Firearm Donation Program provides weapons that are no longer being used by federal agencies to police departments. The weapons include not only handguns, but also, I really hate this word, assault rifles, because that's inaccurate, Uzis and grenade launchers, according to the report. Wait, what? Okay. The Democrats raise concerns about the use of grenade launchers by police departments. Can anyone tell me why the KC South Carolina Police Department, which polices a city of less than 
hundred well thirteen thousand people needed two military style fire military style grenade launchers in the first place. Do you sit around saying, well, I wonder who could use a grenade launcher, Connolly continued? What could go wrong with that? Lawmakers also questioned why the GSA has only appointed one person to oversee the program. You have one person designated to manage this program of nearly 10,000 firearms, asked Representative Tim Wahlberg from Michigan. What did you think was going to happen to those weapons, asked Delegate Eleanor Holmes Norton of D.C. Yeah. Well, it's, uh. it's hardly surprising. Uh, you oh. know they've... You know they have missing uranium two three eight. They know how much they've made since they started making nuclear weapons. They know how much they've got now. Right. The two numbers don't match. No. And and we're talking about kilos of it are missing. Yeah. <laughs> so it's hardly surprising that they can't keep track of guns. Well. They can't they keep can't track keep... of highly radioactive material. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, guns are, yeah. It's uh, not fell down that. the back of the sofa. Yeah. <laughs> it's not just that. They can't even account for their money, where it goes. No. They can't account for how many people they've trained, and they can't, if you ask any federal department, they can't tell you how many other departments are in the government. So this really isn't surprising. It's just a symptom, I think, of a larger bureaucracy at work. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, um... This was kind of interesting. Um, this was on the 3rd. Okay. Um, and because I have a family with a very strong military background, I read a lot of, like, Stars and Stripes, and I read a lot of military publications. So this was the first place I saw that. I don't really see it being talked about anywhere else. Um, so we sent a carrier strike group to confront China. Uh, the U.S. Navy has dispatched a small armada to the South China Sea. The carrier John C. Steinus, two destroyers, two cruisers, and the 7th Fleet flagship have sailed into the disputed waters in recent days, according to military officials. The carrier strike group is the latest show of force in the tense region, with the U.S. asserting that China is militarizing the region to guard its extensive territorial claims. We've talked about this before, where they're making artificial islands. China. Um... Steinus is joined in the region by the cruisers Antinium and Mobile Bay and destroyers Chonghun and Stockdale. The command ship Blue Ridge, the floating headquarters of the Japan-based 7th Fleet, is also in the area en route to a port visit in the Philippines. Steinus deployed from Washington State on January 15th. The Japan-based Anaheim official said was conducting a, quote, routine patrol separate from the Steinus, following up patrols conducted by the destroyer McCampbell and the dock landing ship Ashland in late February. The standoff has been heating up on both sides. After news in February that the Chinese destroyed an advanced surface-to-air missile battery to the Parcel Islands, U.S. Pacific Command Head Admiral Harry Harris told lawmakers that China was militarizing the South China Sea. In my opinion, China is clearly militarizing the South China Sea, Harris testified in February. You'd have to believe in a flat earth to believe otherwise. Overnight, Chinese officials dismissed claims that China was militarizing the region, pointing to the Steinus patrol as evidence that the U.S. was to blame for the increased military tensions. The accusation that China is militarizing the region can lead to a miscalculation of the situation, said Fu Ying, a spokeswoman for the China's National People's Congress. If you only look at the matter closely, it's the U.S. sending the most advanced aircraft and military vessels into the South China Sea. 
a Pacific Fleet spokeswoman, uh, downplayed the heavy U.S. presence in the region. Our ships and aircraft operate routinely throughout the Western Pacific, including the South China Sea, and have for decades, said Commander Clay Doss in a statement. In 2015 alone, Pacific Fleet ships sailed about 700 combined days in the South China Sea. However, experts say that sending Steinis and its air wing to the South China Sea is a clear signal to China and the region. Clearly, the Navy and the DOD is demonstrating its full commitment to presence and freedom of navigation in the region, said Jerry Hendricks, a retired Navy captain and analyst with the Center for New American Security in Washington, D.C. With the full carrier strike group and the command ship, the Navy is showing the scope of its interest and its ability to project presence and power around the world. Yeah. Thoughts? Well, interestingly, yeah, this is being talked about over here. Uh, Not here. <laughs> but they're they're mentioning it in its full context, which this story isn't even. Right. The reason why all those ships have gone there, mm-hmm. they're getting ready for the annual military exercises with the South Koreans, uh. which the Chinese complain about every year, okay. and especially the North Koreans complain about every year. So you might see some of it under stories to do with North Korea. Um, But yeah, this time of year, the the US Navy always sends more ships into the South China Sea because they're doing exercises with South Korea. Their ally and the Japanese. So yeah, it's not a new thing. It's been going on for the last 40 years. Um, (laughs) Okay. Well, like... Like I said, I mean, I don't, I read this stuff. I don't notice, I don't notice super patterns about it, but I do read a lot of it. So yeah. I just thought it was interesting. But it's, it's not a new thing. And yet the Chinese are blaming the U.S., the U.S. blaming China. Yeah, that's not a new thing. No, it's But not. it's definite the Chinese are building military bases <laughs> on oh, yeah. man-made islands. So of course yeah. When, when you're talking about escalating, yeah, they're the ones definitely doing the escalating on this one. Um, yeah. They are, so, they are adding islands and putting air bases on them. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're making them because they don't exist. Yeah. It's kind of interesting, but yeah. Whatever, I just thought it was interesting. It's not really anything that is, I don't know. Not anything that's anything. Um... I did see, did anybody else see Heads of Space? Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bet the answer to that is no. It's a cartoon. It's actually really funny. All the presidential candidates are launched into space to start a new colony. Ugh. And um, possibly the funniest part of this one episode, and I stuck the first episode in chat, is at the very end where Donald Trump is berating an android. Um, that was pretty funny. Not that it matters. I just thought it was kind of a nice break. Yeah, can can we not do that for real? Just launch them <laughs> into space. And I think forget it'd be great. to give them oxygen or a return vehicle. It <laughs> doesn't sound bad, you know. Well, I think you know. I think they should try and colonize the sun. Yeah, we, we could fire them at the sun <laughs> without oxygen or any way of getting back. Yeah. <sighs> oh hell, let's it. just put all the politicians on there. Yeah. On the sun? Okay. Yeah. Well, it might give us an extra few seconds of life in the sun before it 
goes supernova. Yeah. <laughs> or something. <laughs> Either way, very funny. Um, that's actually really funny. Um, so, yeah. So, this isn't why you guys are all here, but you guys are here to hear about what? Dormant cyberpathogens? <laughs> uh, San Bernardino DA says, seized iPhone may hold dormant cyberpathogen. The San Bernardino District Attorney told a federal judge late Thursday that Apple must assist authorities in unlocking the iPhone used by Saeed Farouk. One of the two San Bernardino shooters that killed 14 people in a killing rampage in December. The phone, which was a county work phone, issued to Farouk as part of his health department duties. Oh my god. Very, he worked for the health department. He's an insane nanny. Um, may have been the trigger to unleash a cyber pathogen, county prosecutors said in the brief court filing. The iPhone is a county work telephone and may have been connected to the San Bernardino County computer network. The seized iPhone may contain evidence that can only be found on the seized phone that was used as a weapon to introduce a lying dormant cyber pathogen that endangers San Bernardino's infrastructure, according to a court filing by Michael Ramos, the San Bernardino County District Attorney, which I'm grabbing the link for that in case anybody wants to freaking read it. <clears throat> the development represents the first time any law enforcement official connected to the investigation provided an indication other than links to possible co-conspirators of what the authorities might discover on the iPhone. Um, the district attorney's position comes a week after Jared Berugan, the San Bernardino police chief, said there was a reasonably good chance that there is nothing of any value on the phone. James Comrie the FBI director, the man who lives in Never Never Land, said that on February 25th that maybe the phone holds the clue to finding more terrorists. Maybe it doesn't. The county declined to directly comment. A spokesman, David Wirt, told Ars Technica in an email that the country didn't have anything to do with the brief. It was filed by the district attorney. The DA's office, which did not immediately respond to comment, Followed up with a statement to Aros saying that there is compelling governmental interest in requiring any evidence of criminal conduct, additional perpetrators, potential damage to the infrastructure of San Bernardino County, and in protecting the California constitutionally guaranteed right to due process of the victims, deceased and living, arising from state crimes committed on December 2nd, 2015. Jonathan, wow, very... Can you... Yeah, Jonathan, some weird Polish name from the looks of things. Right. Um, Zdzarski or something? <laughs> it's it's bad. It's I haven't asked for pronunciation in a while, even though I just go through and butcher everybody's freaking name. Um, yeah, uh, the Polish gentleman, a prominent iPhone's forensics expert, said in a telephone interview that the district attorney is suggesting that a magical unicorn might exist on this phone. The world has never seen what he is describing coming from an iPhone, the Polish gentleman said. I would expect, I would expect, I would demand, in order to make that statement at all, that he should have some kind of proof. It sounds like he's making up these terms as he goes. We've never used these terms in a computer science. I think what he's trying to suggest is that Farouk was somehow working with someone to install a program on the iPhone 
that infect the local network with some kind of virus or worm or something along those lines. Anything's possible, right? Do they have any evidence whatsoever to show there's any kind of cyber pathogen on the network or logs, any logs or network captures to show that Farouk's phone tried to introduce some kind of unauthorized code into the system? In a follow-up email, Zadarsky added, this reads as an amicus brief designed to mislead the courts into acting irrationally in an attempt to manipulate a decision in the FBI's favor. It offers no evidence whatsoever that the device has or might ever have had malware on it, offers no evidence that the network was ever compromised. They're essentially saying that a magical unicorn might exist on this phone. That issue is the Federal Bureau of Investigation that wants Apple to create software to help it bypass the passcode lock enable to to enable authorities to gain access on the iPhone. Apple is fighting in his health. A Southern California magistrate's order to do just that. Oral arguments are set for March 22nd in a federal court in which Apple hopes to change the magistrate's mind. The government claims that a 1789 law known as the All Writs Act allows judges to issue orders despite there being no law on the topic. The district attorney's revelation was contained in his application to submit a friend of the court brief. His so-called amicus has not been lodged with the court. San Bernardino County did not make it available when Ars Technica requested it. And next will be the DA will be filing a motion that they need the data from the phone because there's a message from God on there. <laughs> it's not just me. It's almost like none of these people understand technology at all. I've never seen so much magical thinking in my life. Hi, Thomas. How are you? Yeah, I love it. So, Pathogen. <laughs> they can't even get the terms correct. Well, it, I'm reading it and I'm laughing. I'm going, this is ridiculous. I don't know a whole lot about computers, but I know clearly more than these fucking people do. You know? Average <laughs> teenager definitely knows more than these people seem to. There's something about moving up in the government that just means you get to be brain dead, I guess. There must be a lobotomy involved. <laughs> I don't think progress. that's. Yeah. I don't think that's true. I. Most of the teenagers I know today are pretty, you know, brain dead about everything but technology, and yet most of the older people I know are pretty smart about everything but technology. So I don't know. I guess it's a generational gap, maybe. Well, sort of. Except you got to remember, it's older people that invented all the damn technology. <laughs> yeah. True. Very oh, true. Oh, and yeah, speaking of which, God mm -hmm. rest the inventor of email who died today. Yeah, I saw that. That was sad. <sighs> For the younger audience, email. Something we had before Twitter and Facebook. <laughs> I don't know. I messages. I've got to tell you, I don't think most of the people I know who are younger than us really big on like snapchat and instagram and that kind of thing not really big on the facebook too many words well yeah I'll, i could mention them all but there's so many now i know with these messaging apps mm -hmm. yeah oh and michael morris is really going back i see that is irc yeah i miss irc I <laughs> nobody ever bothered to go in well People bothered to go in there, but uh, they got bored really quick. Uh, Dial-up <laughs> message boards, BBS. Those were the days. Took you a whole month to have an argument you could have in 30 seconds these days. 
sure that allowing dumb people to argue with you quicker is better. Not really, no. It isn't. <laughs> I just thought I'd mention that. Well, that's so, the trouble, you see. The the old-fashioned systems used to have some technical... You used to have to have quite good technical knowledge to be able to use them. Yeah. Now any idiot can basically use some of these and say really, really stupid things. Like when Donald Trump makes a speech. Uh, yeah, maybe not quite as dumb as Trump. But, yeah. <laughs> um, I got to tell you, the freakiest thing I saw was, did you see the video where he got all his supporters to raise their right arms? Yeah. And yeah, that kind of freaked me out. It was like, are you trying to get people to compare you to Hitler? Is is that what you're trying we'll see to see one of the there's one of the um satirists who mm-hmm. has his own blog yes, right. in his weekly briefing to his followers he sent out an email was a long comparison with Hitler. You know, I try I try not to do that because you know you automatically when God you wins. bring up yeah. Nazi and, and Hitler, you automatically lose the argument, right? And I, I try no, not no, to no, do that. No, 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 no. Don't see Trump has reversed that general <laughs> principle <laughs> by saying he doesn't mind being compared to Hitler. So yeah, it's fine. You can say whatever you like, <laughs> Hitler based, because he thinks it's okay. So Godwin's law doesn't apply. Godwin's law always applies. It always applies. Um, you know, I guess. <laughs> well, you know, I guess I I could compare him to like Pinochet. That's almost as bad. You know. Yeah. That's Old not Bob. really true. He hasn't really rounded anybody up and and had hundreds of them killed yet. But you mm. know, give him Pol time. Pot, the Camer Rouge. Yeah, that's <laughs> one of the good ones. Stalin. Uh, Stalin, actually, Stalin is not a bad comparison. Yeah, he had do- he had dodgy hair on on, but it was under his nose. Um, <laughs> that kind of wasn't what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, I don't know. I'm really uncomfortable with um, Trump. I'm really uncomfortable with Trump. The, the whole then, world is. Yeah, you know, his supporters. So, there is yeah. nobody in this landscape that I want to vote for. I definitely don't want anybody they've thrown out into the established republic establishment Republican ring and Hillary Clinton is just a warmongering whore. So I'm not des- a fan despite of Bloomberg announcing mm-hmm. that he definitely isn't running as an independent, do you think he's gonna run as an independent? <laughs> Probably. Well I mean you've got to figure the Republicans say that their next best shot is to trot out the last asshole who couldn't win. Yeah. I mean, their plan is to trot out the guy from Utah who couldn't even carry like 35% of the vote last time. That's who they're going to run against Trump? Really? I'm not a fan of the man. I understand why he's popular. I do. I don't like it, but I understand it. And um, this is... I don't know if anybody remembers, because I know I've talked about it before, but uh, after the war reparations from World War I happened, that paved the perfect circumstances for someone like Hitler to really rise. Yeah. Um, 
when you look at... I will at, make Germany great again. Yeah, and familiar. Exactly. Yeah. If, <laughs> if you look at the economic circumstances that the middle class now, the lower economic... They are now the lower economic classes. If you look at what they've gone through in this country, it's, it's not exactly the same as Germany, and I can't really compare it to that, but economically... You know, we've had the same sort of freeze out where, where people are living worse than their parents and great grandparents did. And no one wants to live in that kind of country. Um, Look on the no bright side. To... If Trump does end up in charge, we just yeah. need to get him to accept an invitation from Putin for a state <laughs> visit. Then they can go play golf <laughs> together. And, and Trump will probably have some sort of golfing accident. And mm -hmm. be. He found mysteriously he tripped over and fell into Putin's <laughs> golf club, and that's why it's embedded in his head. Look, I don't. And, I and don't, he'll be covered in polonium two ten. And <laughs> don't get me wrong, I, I don't like the guy. I don't want him to die. I just don't want him to lead. Yeah. But everybody I see that's being put forth as an establishment candidate is not someone I really want to lead. Not in love with Bernie Sanders, but I will say one thing. If you look at the emails that came from Hillary's horrible server, and I have, there is actually a letter on there from Bernie Sanders demanding that she stand up and recuse herself from her duties as Secretary of State because she had so much money invested in so many companies that benefited from war profiteering. At least the yeah. man's got some ethics. Yeah, I, I noticed the, the media are trying to the media are trying to portray him as a socialist. Yeah. He is. Uh, yeah, he's about as socialist as Winston he's Churchill. A, he's um, a socialist as America will accept. Yeah. Do you do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. Um, That's why I said Winston Churchill, who was a little liberal at one point in his political career. Right. So yeah, he's <laughs> he's he's not left. He's center. He's best. very. Yeah. He's very centrist, which is kind of funny because look how far to the right the right has gone. They've actually yeah. fallen off the political compass map, and they're they're in some strange territory now that I don't understand. Um, I understand why anarchists say voting is violence now. I don't want yeah. any of those people forced on me. No. We're adults. If we can't be chose, if we can't be smart enough to lead ourselves, then we're totally fucked. And to put it this way, you don't actually elect the people who actually govern you. No. If you if you actually have a shadow government, and I think we all kind of agree we do, you know, with subcontracting and the hollowing out of the actual governmental offices for people having culpability and responsibility then you're not really electing anything but a figurehead and congress is basically useless so i don't know not loving any of these people that i'm seeing no so yeah. they seem to have tried to collect the most distasteful group <laughs> of politicians they could i think like, there's let's let's see who just how 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 desperate the public will be. Who who will be the best of the worst? You know? <laughs> it's like a new reality show. Maybe it is all. 
well, it is all being filmed. Uh, well, I mean, it, it kind of, if you look at the electoral process, it kind of is a reality show. The sad part is the one who's got the most experience is Donald Trump. Yeah. So that's why you see. Well, I don't know. Hil Hillary's got a lot of experience, main, mainly down to all the court action she's had over the years. She just lies. Hillary just lies. That's what she does. Also, well, does she Trump. Lies. Yeah, she lies and she's. The best Donald Trump is a horrible human being. Yeah. I'm not going to pretend he's not. I just don't think he's personally caused as many deaths I, as Hillary Clinton. Yeah. I prefer Hillary as a liar because at least she sticks to her story. Whereas Trump can lie at the start of his speech and then contradict it by the end of his speech. He's that bad at lying. You know, I, I almost think the vote for him is just a reaction. It's like people are going... They're never really going to let us have anyone who's decent. We can't have a third-party candidate. We can't have anybody who's decent. So, fuck it. We're just going to vote for the worst of the worst of the worst and, and send Washington a message that we know it's all a joke. Please let that be all it is. <laughs> so, I, I think that's what it is. I, I think people finally woken up to the idea that, you know, you don't really have a voice. I mean, there was a, oh God, I don't know if anybody saw it. There was a documentary, was it 1996, where the man who wrote the coding for voting machines was talking about how he actually wrote codes to have a specific candidate overtake another specific candidate in certain swing states. Yeah. And if you're still using electronic voting, that's pretty bad. Um, that's why so uh, many any form of voting is quite easy to rig. Well, uh, ask Robert Mugabe; he's quite good at it. <laughs> yeah, well, it is very easy, but I mean that's a problem. Here's the thing: I'm I'm not a fan of direct democracy. Okay, because one vote is always going to take a person who doesn't have as lot of voice and drown them out. But we have the technology in our hands right fucking now. We use it every time we vote on a story, every time we click on a link, every time we pick up our damn phones. We have the technology to vote on how we want to live. I mean, we have the technology to make pretty much all of these people go the hell away. And it's a shame more people haven't woken up to the idea. We could vote on absolutely everything. All day long. Yeah, I mean, there's there's been sci-fi stories where, yeah, that's the Nirvana future. It's like, yeah, every day, you know, there's an hour of the day where people just sit and every, every person over a certain age sits and chooses which option they want out of all these different things. <laughs> and that's I, how know, it's done. There aren't actually any politicians. Uh -huh. uh, they're I mean, just... There, there are still bureaucrats, obviously, which is a drawback, but yeah. There's something They're to just be there said, to count. Right, but there's something to be said for getting rid of the politicians. Oh, anyway. Sorry, I went off on a tangent. That's not why you guys are here. What? Super tangent. She had to cover I... for Jeannie not being here. <laughs> yeah, I had my ooh shiny moment. Uh, congratulations, Jeannie. Your grandson's beautiful. Um, <clears throat> John Yu's legal rationale. Um, I'm assuming everybody knows that John Wu is 
John Yu is kind of the guy who's all about torture. Uh, yeah. But you know. But I'll get to an explanation in this in a minute. Okay. Mike Masnick took a very in-depth look at the recently declassified legal rationale for warrantless surveillance. Authored by torture aficionado John Yu back in 2002, the long and short of the letter is this. Executive power trumps everything, even the Constitution. The letter was given to the FISA court, much in the way an expensive and fragile item is given to a toddler. Judge Caller Cotley was allowed to look at it, but not keep a copy or take notes. One of the more darkly entertaining aspects of the letter is use kitchen sink approach to justifying the warrantless searches and seizures. USA Today's Brad Heath pointed out the long list of rough comparisons you included in the letter, claiming that warrantless domestic surveillance was roughly comparable to searching high school kids' lockers for drugs, among other things. Bush admin concluded NSA wiretaps didn't require a warrant citing drug testing of high school athletes. Here is the list. A variety of government searches, therefore, have met the Fourth Amendment requirement of reasonableness without obtaining a judicial warrant. The Supreme Court, for example, has upheld warrantless searches that involve drug testing of high school students, certain searches of automobiles, um, drunk driver checkpoints, drug testing of railroad personnel, drug testing of federal customs officers, administrative investigation inspection of closely related businesses, temporary baggage seizures, detention to prevent flight and to protect law enforcement officers, checkpoints to search for illegal aliens, and temporary shops and limited searches for weapons. The court has cautioned, however, that random search programs cannot be designed to promote a general interest in crime control. According to the government, warrant surveillance is a Terry stop or a drug test performed on railroad workers or a demand for records from a pawn shop. You expands on this rational, rationale later in the letter, stating that warrantless electronic surveillance is really nothing more than a DUI checkpoint, but for terrorism. If privacy interests are viewed as intruded upon only by redacted, it is likely that Fourth Amendment interests would not outweigh compelling government interests present, present here in the context of roadblocks to stop drunken drivers, another area of special needs under the Fourth Amendment, the court has prevent, permitted warrantless searches. See Michigan of State Police, SITS 496, U.S. 444-1990. There the court found that a roadblock constituted a reasonable search due to a magnitude of a drunk driving problem and the deaths it causes. In fact, the court compared the death toll from drunk drivers to the casualties on a battlefield. It found that this interest outweighed the intrusion into privacy at a checkpoint stop, which it characterizes as brief in terms of duration and intensity. Similarly, redacted, that in the case of roadblocks where redacted, law enforcement officer stops each driver to examine whether they are inebriated. It seems that if the Supreme Court were willing to uphold drug driver checkpoints, it would be equally or even more willing to allow redacted. I'm reading, I was reading from that letter, sorry. It's a disingenuous argument that equates surveillance of millions with a low-impact checkpoint in which dozens of drivers are given a cursory lookover by law enforcement to determine whether or not they've been drinking. But he is right about one thing. Courts have been willing to cut the government more constitutional slack when the subject matter is the war on terror. 
This legal rationale was issued shortly after the 9-11 attacks when the government and court sentiments would be also almost exclusively receptive to use arguments. But the searches you authorized are far more general than the participized nature of the searches he cites. In each case, there's a specific group targeted. The NSA programs aren't nearly as focused. Communications and metadata are gathered by the millions, both a seizure and a search, before being refined to focus on suspected terrorists. The surveillance you argued for treats all communications originating or terminating in foreign countries as suspicious and subject to warrantless searches. To use his analogies, this is like claiming every locker not in a private residence should be subject to warrantless searches because contraband is sometimes stored in them, or that every business that sells or purchases anything from overseas vendors should be subject to the same scrutiny as pawn shops and motels, simply because most terrorist attacks originate outside of U.S. borders. Really didn't like that guy before. I really can't stand him. Yeah, John, John Yu, right? Yeah. If only, right, we could organize this, right? For him, every airport he goes through, every public building with security he goes to, mm-hmm. every foreign country he visits, right. he should be stopped and searched every single time and then still see if he trumps this much about, oh, we need to have all these checks. So I'm, I bet he'd change his mind. <sighs> Yeah, you've got a suspiciously foreign-sounding name, Mr. Yu. <laughs> ah, I think we need to search se- you. <laughs> you've been selected for random screening. Yeah. If, if they did, everywhere he went, if that happened to him, I, I bet he'd soon change his crazy ideas. Well, well, let's face it, he's he's being paid to have this opinion. He couldn't give a shit either way, like most uh, of them. Probably He's not. just lobbying. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, he's making his money. His ability to keep his shit job depends on his ability to convince people that he's right. Yeah. Whether or not he's right. And he's not right. He wasn't right with the whole torture thing. He's not right about this. And I'm kind of uncomfortable with the idea that our emails being searched... And the policies formed by the same person who thought, you know, torturing the shit out of people was absolutely fine. Uh, I have a problem with the same person writing that same sort of policy for both. Why? Couldn't we find somebody else to, you know, write the torture policy or the Fourth Amendment invasion of privacy policy? I have a problem with that. Really well, you know, you know, if, if if he wants to look at all our private communications, you know what it means. We just need to put um, cat pictures on every single communication we have at all times. <laughs> uh, you know, because then they just get sick of looking at all of it. <laughs> they they really would. Um, they really really would. Um, Can okay. I have cheeseburger? <laughs> Every single email. <laughs> Every text message. <laughs> bit harder to do on Twitter. but yeah. I'm sure there's a way. I'm sure there's a way to in, you know, embed pictures. In t- there is. It used to be like iFrog or Frogger. Oh, there the is, but it takes up some of your text allowance. So, yeah. So you'd have to get really good at text speak. 
And that yeah. always makes you look literate. Um, okay. This bothered me. Uh, French Parliament votes to jail executives who refuse to encrypt data. Guess why? <laughs> <sighs> the French Parliament has voted in favor of punishing companies that refuse to decrypt data for government investigations by threatening businesses with big fines and possible jail terms for staff. This comes amid the FBI's high-profile battle with Apple in the U.S. to unlock a dead killer's encrypted iPhone. Everything leads back to that fucking iPhone. French deputies voted to add an amendment to a penal reform bill that would fine companies 35... I'm sorry, 350,000 pounds for a refusal to decrypt to give up to five years in jail for senior executives. Telecommunication company executives would face smaller fines and up to two years in jail for not cooperating with the authorities. The new penalties were the idea of the right-wing opposition deputies, uh, AP, AFP reports, and are opposed by the French government, which has consistently opposed moves to reduce IT security after the terrorist attack in Paris last November. The vote for the amendment doesn't mean the measure will become law, however. The full bill will be voted on by the National Assembly on March 8th and will then move to the upper house for a separate vote. The president will also have to sign it before it takes effect. In the meantime, expect technology firms to begin a massive lobbying effort to get the amendment removed. Nothing concentrates the mind so much as the thought of a C-level executive spending time in the slammer. Meanwhile, the FBI must be looking at the land of cheese-eating surrender monkeys. <laughs> My God. Holy shit. Meanwhile, the FBI must be looking at the land of the cheese-eating surrender monkeys or the nation that was the key to the creation of America, depending on your viewpoint, with envy. The agency is embroiled in its case with Apple, and if this week's RSA conference was anything to go by, is getting almost no support from the tech industry. Speaker after speaker decried the FBI's conduct and intentions in the case, and U.S. District Attorney General Loretta Lynch got a very frosty reception indeed in her address to the conference. The U.S. tech industry and others are standing firm on encryption, and the French Amendment is not going to go down well. The story's from the UK, isn't it? No. Um, hang on. It's definitely somebody who's watched a lot of yeah, UK Yeah, it's, it's, from, it's from the register. Yeah, because <laughs> cheese-eating surrender monkeys. Yes, that's, that's, why I that's a giveaway, laughing. that one. Yeah. I started laughing my ass off. I was like, no, I didn't really read that. And I read it. But I was like, I couldn't have really read that. But yeah, that's from the register. The register has some pretty nifty stuff. I like their stuff. But yeah, their white papers um, are great. And I, I will comment on this point that okay. yeah, France, the probably one of the most socialist countries in the world, always has been since the whole guillotining thing. Um, yeah, they they have really. <coughs> joined the rest of the world in, in the modern age um, right this is a country where they have huge numbers of people die in road accidents crashing into trees but they can't go and spoil their country roads by putting up crash barriers and removing all the trees along the sides of the road no 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 <laughs> no it, it's we must keep our traditional French roads. It's like, y 
yeah, thousands of people a year are dying. No, but <laughs> but it's not traditional, and that's what you're up against here. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, the, the idea of yeah jailing and you know company executives and all that—that's typically a French reaction. It's <laughs> it's that's probably it. not going to get voted through. That's a terrifying reaction to have, though. Yeah, but that's how the French deal with things. I don't know if you, you're aware of the coverage of what happened. But yeah, at one point, there's lots of um, British sheep being transported into France for food, and French farmers complained about this. <laughs> and the way they complained about this was blockading the ports and setting fire to the sheep. Oh my god! That was back in the 80s. Um, so yeah, France. Mm, it's not a modern country. In any way, shape or form. <laughs> Despite the fact that it appears to be a modern country. 90% of it is still living somewhere in the 1920s. That's fucking frightening. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, here's, here's one that's frightening. DOD officials say autonomous killing machines deserve a look. <laughs> Only my military. While military requires person in loop, robots might decide when to shoot in the future. These people have never read a dystopian novel, have never seen you know, any of the Terminator films. At the National Defense Industrial Association's Ground Robotics Capabilities Conference on Thursday, Department of Defense officials discussed the possibility of the U.S. military fielding autonomous armed robots to fight alongside troops or act on their own, particularly in highly competitive, highly contested space behind enemy lines. We have to think about what autonomous kinetic options really look like, said Melissa L. Flagg, a Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense in the DOD's Acquisition Technology and Logistics Directorate. That thinking is still in its early stages, Flagg said, but military officials are looking hard at the possibility of developing robotic systems that are capable of acting on their own if remote control is cut off and decisions must be made on when to deploy a weapon, whether it's an armed drone dropping a bomb or launching a missile or a ground-firing ground robot firing weapons these are hard questions and a lot of people outside of us tech guys are thinking about it talking about it engaging in what we can do and what we can't do she said that's important we need to understand and know that it doesn't necessarily need to happen but we also have to put the options on the table because we are the worst case scenario guys so far the military has largely steered clear of deploying remote operated ground weapons of any kind though it is heavily invested in the deployment of unmanned ground vehicles. The military did deploy remote control machine gun turrets in Afghanistan as a stationary defense, but Marine Colonel Henry Lutz, the DOD Joint Staff's Robotic and Autonomous Systems Officer in charge, said that soldiers were reluctant to use them because of the safety risks both to fellow soldiers and civilians. Understanding that in a counterinsurgency environment you do more harm than good, there was not a level of trust, Lutz said. Lutz's team, however, is preparing a concept of operations document for the Joint Chiefs of Staff on how the military would use robotic weapons by 2035 
including semi-autonomous systems that could act on their own if an enemy used an electronic warfare to jam communications from the human charge. But the concept document would be about capabilities, not policy. Just because we are capable of doing something, it doesn't mean that's what we should do, he said. Very. They already have them. I don't I know. believe I've mentioned this before. I know. <laughs> what? I'll drop a photograph of one of them that was spotted by a film crew. Okay. In area 50, outside area 51, because it stopped and challenged them. <laughs> um, you, know, you know. This is a military area. You know, please leave. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> get back. You know, there's the fence, and then on, on the public the side of the fence, you've got to stay 10 metres away. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> so this vehicle sat there until they pulled back far enough and then it toddled off on its way again. Well, and yes, that's I a mean, 50 caliber heavy machine gun on its top. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. We know what Alphabet's doing. Right? Yeah. We know what, um, what's that something systems over there with your lot? BE systems. Yeah. yeah. So we know what they're doing. We know what the military says it doesn't want to do, but is actually already doing. I don't know. I'm just uncomfortable with that. I I like having a person in the loop. You know, they they have morals and a machine doesn't. The minute you take a person out of the loop, I have a problem with a machine deciding who lives and who dies. I just do. I was will. Some part of me is always going to be a Luddite, no matter how great the future is or if we get to a post-scarcity society which is what i'm really kind of hoping for um we, we've got a hope for choppy rather than terminator yeah yeah that's i true. don't know if you've seen that film choppy i have seen choppy yeah choppy is adorable actually yeah yeah you need like big hero six not terminator you just you know we don't want cyber to, and the worst part is I know Cyberdyne Systems is actually a company that exists. Yeah. Which kind of cracks me up. I'm like, really? Did you pick that name on purpose? Because that was just a terrible name. And there's a government project called Skynet. Yes, which is lovely. Yeah. It's lovely. God, I love the government. They just, they have no original fucking ideas. They go to steal from Hollywood. Or science fiction writers in general. Oh, I mean, yeah. That that links back to the whole Reagan thing. That's quite... Star Wars. Yes, let's get some science fiction writers to come up with an idea and we're just going to fucking run with it. Yeah, Niven and Cornell bringing crazy ideas to the American government for decades. (laughs) They made so much money doing books. Oh, yeah, but they Luckily, the books were very good, but, yeah. (laughs) Their ideas that they gave to the government, less good. Mm. I agree. I agree completely. I don't know uh, if he still sits on that panel or not. You know, I would hope that panel would be just fucking done. But well, it's mind. it's advisory panel to the White House, so God knows. Mm-hmm. You'd have to do freedom of information requests to find out if it still exists. Yeah, good uh, luck And then a separate one to find out who sits on it. And yeah, but I mean, good luck getting the government to answer them in a timely manner. I mean, just some of the ones that I've submitted 
I don't even want to tell you what the, the government's been like. This is going to cost you X amount of thousand dollars. Yeah, I'm not paying that. You know, it's, it's but free. I do, I do remember the, the, the horror reaction that you had when I told you about the whole um, Purnell thing with Star Wars. Because <laughs> you, you thought at that point your government was bad. And then you find out, no, it was even worse than you thought. It's not that they're bad. It's that they're batshit crazy. Yeah. I mean, they're all batshit crazy. They just want to hold on to control. And no, Thomas, yeah, pre-crime's kind of... China's doing pre-crime now. Oh, that's just... That's fucking lovely. Oh, the, 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 um, the software that comes on Chinese smartphones is impressively detailed in the amount of information it wants to collect from you as an owner of a Chinese smartphone well I mean the Chinese you know. software is not on it anymore funnily enough but <laughs> yeah you you look at the all the all the pre-approved data sharing it had and it was like oh my god <laughs> yeah no wonder um, phone hacking so popular in China um yeah, I'm. I'll work. I'll work on this one next week, Thomas. Maybe I'll just do a whole pre-crime show because there's a ton of it. Actually, I just I've got certain stupid crap that came down the pike this week that I'm. Yeah, he's on about the fingerprint sensor thing. <sighs> there are multiple ways of hacking the fingerprint yeah, sensor now. Including I mean, one involving Play-Doh, which is... Exactly. That's, I mean, if your <laughs> six-year-old kid can can hack a fucking phone, you don't need Apple to be on your side. Yeah. They just need to get to learn some kindergarten students, and they'd be but fine. But they do need into that phone just to see what God said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stuff is almost as ridiculous as Fast and Furious 7 with the God's Eye thing. Yeah. I'm sorry. That was I don't normally watch that stuff, but it, it's I was sick and it was on. I haven't watched it. There's an advert for it that I saw the other day, but I haven't watched <coughs> it. You haven't missed anything? No, I was as I say I was watching Pride and Prejudice and Zombies instead. So yeah. See that sounds good. It is good. Yeah. Costume um, drama and ninja action and zombies. <laughs> What's not to like? like yeah. Uh, well, we haven't sent any presidential candidates to the sun. That I would like that more. Yeah, can't can Elon Musk work on that? I don't. You know, I don't know. Uh, wasn't he turning Tesla into a battery company? Sort of. But yeah. He's got a space project stuff as well. So yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Oh, on the was... Hyperloop. Well, it was nice when the last SpaceX didn't blow up. That was good. Yeah, it was that was a that was a win for him. And so, and yeah, <laughs> space stuff. Here's a good decide for you, Professor Brian Cox's reaction to people going on the, the International Space Station is is faked. <laughs> Green screen, all that nonsense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, go go look it up on Twitter. It's hilarious. <laughs> I like Professor Cox. I do. I like him. He's yeah. an intelligent human being. And he's got a damn good sense of humor. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, 
wasn't he was a musician, wasn't he? Yes. Yeah. Probably was the band he was in. Yes. Was probably why he's got a decent sense of humor. He ha he has topped the music charts as well as being an astrophysicist. So yeah. <laughs> okay, I've got one more before very uh, before we bring on Alex because. I read this today, and if, if I could have gone and punched this fucker in the face, I would have. NSA director, we're accountable to you. Admiral Michael S. Rogers, director of the National Security Agency, took the stage at RSA, where he took pains to stress the need for dialogue in the role of the NSA as a public servant. RSA primarily attracts members of the security industry, but Rogers' presence was a touch awkward as the Admiral followed a lengthy debate from the creators of public key encryption and other security luminaries about, among other things, the value protecting privacy against government surveillance. Well, certainly an interesting panel to follow as the head of the NSA, Rogers quipped. Rogers seemed to be seeking a new kind of dialogue with the security industry. The nation counts on the NSA to generate insights and help ensure its security and safety, and to do it in a way that addresses the rights and privacy of our citizens, he said. The consent of the governed. Rogers painted a picture of a world for more increasingly complex cyber attacks, but stressed that the NSA will not overstep its bounds. <laughs> the challenge, while moving forward, he said, is to ensure that we are about national security, but everything we do must comply with the law and be done in defense of our citizens. This is not the government deciding unilaterally what to do or an industry deciding what to do, he said. Our citizens need to be the ones saying what they find acceptable and what they do not. These comments are in stark contrast to statements made by the agency in the wake of leaks made by Edward Snowden, which revealed massive data interception operations and even some domestic spying. Back then, when the emphasis by the administration and the NSA was that operations were carried out legally and were necessary for the defense of the nation. Previous narratives focused on authorization by the secret FISA court rather than the consent of citizens looking to the future. But despite a conciliatory tone, Roberts made sure to inject an air of urgency about the threat landscape. If we can take anything away from OPM and Anthem, he said, referring to major data breaches at U.S. Office of Personnel Management and Health Insurance Companies, it's that data is an increasingly desirable commodity to steal. That trend won't change anytime soon, but data theft is just the beginning. What happens when that same activity is used to manipulate the data, software, and products, he asked. What do we do when we cannot trust the data we're seeing? He cited as examples individuals discovering that their bank accounts had been tampered with or attackers spotting data for airline traffic. The attacks on the Ukraine power grid two months ago should serve as a warning, he said. It is only a matter of when, not if, you'll see a nation-state actor attack the critical infrastructure of the United States. Seven weeks ago it was the Ukraine, and this is not the last time we're going to see about this. I fucking hate that man. So he works for John Yu. Yes, yes. He, he, he works for us. Or They're is it a Chinese citizen. guy? <laughs> no, no. That was, uh, that was the asshole head of the NSA. It's funny. It doesn't matter which agency is talking about your private data. They all kind of sound the same. The same 
stuff that comes out of Mike Rogers' mouth is the same sort of stuff that comes out of the FBI director's mouth. This is the same sort of stuff that comes out of the president's mouth. And it's ridiculous. You know, just because they all have the same narrative doesn't mean it can be trusted. Oh, on another point, well, it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Heads of these sort of things should not be turning up at industry events and talking at all. Mm. Conflict of interest. Shouldn't be doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think any of them get a warm reception at RSI. No. But literally, they shouldn't be allowed to attend. If they show up, it should be, sorry, no, you can't come in. <laughs> you got to go. You are not industry. You are government. Go away. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> yeah it's just frustrating I mean it's got to be more frustrating for the people that are trying to do what their customers want which is include basic encryption as a feature you know what I mean not as something you've got to have a lot of technical knowledge to make work you know yeah. the average grandma should have the same security as a 16 year old kid on all their devices and it should all be you know hard encrypted and there is a way to do that the government doesn't like that though the NSA and FGI are just annoyed because they can't get their own hard encrypted devices to work properly and they get hacked all the time <laughs> well you know if they'd, if they'd get rid of Windows 7 they might do okay um, it's a little after 7 uh, I guess we should get Alex okay Hello, Alex. Good evening, Alex. Good evening. Good evening, and welcome to the CASA update for the week of 3-7-2016. How are you this week, Alex? I'm home. You're home. Yay. (laughs) I'm home. You had a busy week. I've I've been home for all of 24 hours. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) How's Detroit? Um, It was good. It was a good event. Um, uh, For those that don't know i guess i probably haven't posted a whole lot about it i i do tend to be a little lame at social media um (laughs) but i was at uh i was in detroit at the uh, vpx show um the vapors exhibit i believe Mm -hmm. um and it was good i specifically went for uh one b2b day and one consumer day um, but the, uh, the B2B, B2B day started off with like a two hour kind of, um, they called it, uh, vaping Academy and, uh, there were, it was, um, most of it was geared towards business owners, things like, um, you know, 15, 20 minute presentations about how to manage, uh, you know, your email database, how to use that, how to make it effective. Um, mm-hmm. There were some guys from, you know, credit card processing and stuff. And then there was, you know, me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, my the point of my talk was to, uh, you know, ways in which uh, retailers can engage consumers. And um, I had a PowerPoint presentation with me. Uh, I have put up a PDF version of that in our Google Drive um, 
and the way to get to that, it's a bit.ly link. I'm going to spell it out and I'll put it in the links, uh, the notes of the uh, podcast, but uh, it's bit.ly forward slash Casa Flyers. Um, so if you wanted to check that out, it, it's, it's just a PowerPoint, so it, it doesn't really stand well on its own. Right. <laughs> um, a lot of the content was me talking, but if you want to check it out, it's up there. Um, and of course, some other bit.ly links are in there that are useful. Um, but, you know, going forward, it was one of these things, you know, that I brought up was, um, you know, this is relatively easy for me to do is to put together some sort of presentation and throw it up on Google Drive. And, you know, there's plenty of, there's plenty of business owners out there that have you know, a big monitor or TV screen or something in their shops. And if you want to use that to be broadcasting information about CASA or calls to action or other things, you know, feel free to reach out and let me know. And I can, you know, I can develop something, you know, maybe tailored to, to specifically what you want. And, you know, that, that kind of helps us produce content that, that people can use to, to engage consumers. Um, so that's just an option that's out there. And, and this, is, this is kind of the theme of me going to these things going forward is, you know, it's great to be there and, and speaking to consumers. They, you know, it's their interests that we represent. Mm -hmm. But probably even more importantly is our ability to, to reach business owners because, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're the ones that are on the front lines of this stuff. And they have more opportunities, different opportunities to engage consumers than we do. So um, it, it's just it's just really important to 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 be able to address them. And mm -hmm. um, a lot of times, you know, they tend to be a lot more engaged in this because they actually have money. They, they you know, they're. <laughs> People have sunk an awful lot of money and blood and sweat into their businesses to, you know, get their, yeah. get this going. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they're looking for, for whatever avenue they can find to, you know, protect their business. And, mm -hmm. of course, engaging your customers is one of those avenues. So, um, yeah. yeah, looking forward to it. Um, so the other thing that, um, well, just before we get to next Monday and I'm like, Oh yeah, we went to this other event. Um, <laughs> uh, Julie and I are going to be in Tampa this weekend. Um, I'm flying down there. We're f flying in on Thursday and, mm -hmm. uh, there is a, an invite in, <laughs> sorry, I can't talk. I just, <laughs> I had like a whole bunch of pizza. So now <laughs> my brain doesn't work properly. Um, there is an industry advocacy dinner. Kevin usually puts these on on the Thursday before the event. So okay. um, if you're listening and you are a, a vendor that's going to be at the event, um, I strongly recommend attending this this little get-together. Um, the last one we did was sort of an informal chat. You know, we had a panel of people up there. I was there. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, some other people from, you know, Safada and, and A Billion Lives and, um, some of the smoke free associations. So it's, it's, it's just a panel of, of the people working in advocacy and industry associations to, you know, sit down, relax, ask some questions, get some answers. You know, it's a good time. 
Um, so I'll be participating in that on Thursday. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it's the vaping convention circuit in Tampa and, uh, we'll be going to that. So that's the fun stuff. <laughs> um, I got to meet some, some, some people that I have only, I'm not going to give everybody shout outs. That's weird for Casada to do, but, um, <laughs> Uh, I, I did get a chance to meet people who I've only known through Twitter or otherwise, mostly mm-hmm. just you know Twitter or Facebook, and uh, it's it's really awesome to have met them. I'm I'm super happy to have met some people, and I, I you know Detroit is actually a, at least the where I was. Maybe it was just being around a bunch of vapors. I don't know, but it, everybody was really friendly. Um, I. I I don't know why I ex- maybe it's just it's the cold weather or something. Maybe I expected everybody to just be kind of grumbly and like, uh, you know. But it I was I was pleasantly surprised. Um, so thanks to the city of Detroit for uh, just generally being swell people. Um, that was a good time, and uh, and I I really enjoyed myself. Um, but I'm back in New Jersey, so you know, <laughs> can't live the fantasy for forever um i did so okay so that's the fun stuff but and then there's good news we got some good news last week um the utah tax bill Mm -hmm. hb333 failed Mm -hmm. so that's great news yes um there's still another one but Utah ends its session in three days on Thursday the 10th. So um, I'm not going to rule it out and say that there's no chance, but there's not much chance that this other tax bill um, is going to do anything. Um, So hats off to the folks working in Utah uh, for sticking through it and, and, uh, getting that killed well or at least pretty dead um and then west virginia um and i i do have to i do have to give a little bit of a shout out not an endorsement just a a, a acknowledgement of um delegate larry faircloth uh from west virginia uh that would be he would be that's a delegate is essentially a representative for those of you in other states who don't know um uh, he's in the West Virginia House, mm-hmm. and uh, he is also a vapor, mm-hmm. and uh, came out very strongly against this tax bill. Uh, reached out to us to rebroadcast a petition that he had put together, mm-hmm. and um, has also engaged with a lot of other uh, vapors and advocates uh, in West in West Virginia and beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, so. He is um, just, you know, I, I don't know. It seems like a really nice guy and really engaged in this issue. Um, I have heard about him traveling outside of West Virginia to help people. Um, and uh, so that's kind of an interesting development there. Uh, it, it, if we had some more politicians uh, getting engaged, like Delegate Faircloth, um that that could be, that's a game changer. Um, but right now we just we just have delegate Faircloth, and um, anyway, uh, it, 
for all of you other politicians that might be listening out there, uh, be more like Larry. Um, <laughs> he, he is definitely doing the right thing. Um, so, yeah, and of course, all that to say, West Virginia, uh, uh, H, is it HB 420 or SB 420? Hold on, I'm going to get it right. SB, Senate Bill 420 uh, was a tax bill. It is no longer a tax bill. Um, nice. So, uh, yeah, that that was defeated. And um, congratulations for everybody that, that came up and worked on that and, and got that taken care of. Awesome. So, now we're on to the really awful stuff. Oh, good. Um, California. Um I am still in, I, I, the California bills are a lot to take in. Right. And, uh, to some extent I have been relying in, 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 in the interest of efficiency, I have been relying on analysis from other people in order mm -hmm. to put together our calls to action. Now, as far as what we put out there goes, you know, we put out very brief and simple explanations of these bills so that when you go to talk about it, you have some very basic talking points right. to use. And so it is, I, I haven't gone back to check and see what we put out last year, but there's been enough confusion over what these bills actually do that there were some inaccuracies circulating. Okay. So, um, but again, essentially what we have put out for the uh, Senate Bill X2-5, um, that's, the, that's the Leno bill, um, mm -hmm. is, it is essentially, it will subject vapor products to tobacco regulations. It brings them into the Stake Act. And um, uh, so that does mean indoor, indoor use bans. Right. There is apparently an exemption in there for vapor shops, um, but that doesn't make it okay. No. Um, and uh, the reason why these bills are, are flopping around between houses is because they were amended for the most part to include raising the age to purchase to 21. Right. So if they weren't bad enough before, now they're tobacco 21 bills. <laughs> um, and that's kind of part of the reason why they still have to go through both houses for concurrence and so on. Um, and that's why we're seeing more activity than just, this is why it didn't actually race. I mean, it is racing through the process, but it, it would have gone faster if they hadn't amended these bills. Right. Um, so for all intents and purposes, these bills are basically lined up to go straight to the governor's desk. Oh. Um, I was looking at some update for an update on um, uh, SBX25. Uh, I didn't see one, but uh, it will be here heard in committee in the Senate at some point. Okay. Basically, this is just for concurrence purposes to approve the amendments that were made in the assembly during the special session uh, okay. and and see what happens. Um, it, the, the fight's not over. These bills are not law. They're not on the governor's desk. So if you're in California, 
you know, write your, we have a call to action up right now, send a message to your senators um, and call the governor and, mm -hmm. and urge them to urge him to veto this bill. Mm -hmm. If you, and even if you don't live in California, call the governor. I called the governor when I was standing in Detroit on Friday and mm -hmm. I simply said, I buy products from California. I do. I, there are plenty of products on my desk from California Right. And as a consumer, you know, I, I, these bills are, are going to be bad for, for what I might have access to. Now, that's not to say, I, I, Doug Hughes, I'm, I'm, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spin this off to Doug Hughes because he's put up a video. Doug Hughes, for those who don't know, was the uh, former president of uh, Southern California, Safata. Um, and one of the one of the found one of the co-founders of, of SoCal Safada, um, and he has put up a video on YouTube, which I'll link to in in the uh, description, um, sort of giving a, a more detailed explanation of what these bills do. Um, so I, I'm going to leave it at that and, and let Doug do the talking because he took the time to do it, and it's a okay. it's an informative video. So, um, so yeah, I'll leave that at that. But needless to say. Uh, if you live in California, if you don't live in California, if you like stuff that comes from California, take action, call the governor, tell him to veto these bills. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. And last but not least, I think last, I always, okay. I always feel like I'm leaving something out. <laughs> um, uh, just a quick update for people in Vermont. Um, the, uh, uh, no, it is not last because there was another thing I was going to get to. Okay. Oh man, pizza <laughs> too much. Too much pizza is just slowing me down here. Uh, um, maybe it's that you've been home twenty four hours. <laughs> that too. I tell you, all I want to do is watch TV and play video games and just forget. Like, I don't even know if I want to vape anymore. I just, <laughs> I just want to forget about it all for like. Maybe for 20 minutes, if I can go 20 minutes without thinking about this stuff, I think I might mm -hmm. feel better. Um, anyway, um, <clears throat> uh, while we're talking about Vermont, uh, Vermont H171, which is the indoor use ban, mm -hmm. um, this is scheduled for a f like two or three more hearings by the end of the week. These are not opportunities for public comment, so don't bother driving down to the state house. You're not going to be heard in, in this in this hearing it's their committee discussion discussions okay um this is still in the house mm -hmm. it's still working its way through the process uh and just so let me see i'm checking on when vermont adjourns okay so vermont adjourns in may may 12th is the last day last scheduled tentative day for okay. uh vermont's legislative session so right. Uh, this bill is still in the House. It still has to go to the Senate. If it gets out of this, you know, committee or moves on, um, but uh, just so everybody knows, the bill is moving and it's still an opportunity to take action. And in fact, this is this is a great time for people who haven't sent emails in. Right. You know, one of the things that that we have talked about in terms of legislative advocacy and you know consumers reaching out to their lawmakers is this sort of repetition and, and reminding them over a long period of time, if you have a long period of time, right. take advantage of that. Remind them 
as these bills are coming up for a hearing, while it's fresh in their mind, um, they are more likely to pay attention to your your input. Um, it's it's just it's totally it's you know working with kind of the human our human flaws of uh, memory um, is is a, just a good thing to keep in mind. So mm-hmm. um, that is that. Indiana. Okay. <laughs> um, there was talk about a bill thirteen eighty six, I believe. Okay. Um, I have all of this. Yes, it's HB thirteen eighty six, okay. and um, this had basically some housekeeping language in it. Uh, it. It clarifies a particular section of that horrible bill that became law last year. Right. Um, and uh, it it really is just clarification. It is. There's a problem with this security company that people have to employ and that a security company has to have um, certain certain certifications. And the way that it was written last year, it sounded like, you know, at least one person on staff at this whatever security company you choose to go with has to have this um, special door certification and then like a fire door certification and that one Mm -hmm. person has to have both Um, Mm -hmm. but they've come back and they've changed that language to say that well one person can have this certification and then another person can have the other certification so essentially it opens up the field of security companies that manufacturers can use to contract with and so on it doesn't make it, it doesn't make the law substantially more workable right it just changed some language um so uh yeah i've been you know just the past few days have really been trying to kind of get a better uh, a more comprehensive understanding of what's going on in indiana because um you know because this bill was so horrible because it's now law because there is there are two lawsuits going on associated with that law. There has been this tendency to kind of say, okay, well, things are what they are in Indiana and there's, there's just not much for us to do. So I'm trying to gain a better understanding of that. I was approached by a, a few people this weekend kind of asking what was going on in Indiana and mm-hmm. uh, a couple of other people that were able to sort of enlighten me. Um, so, uh, again, work in progress. And, and I just kind of wanted to put that out there that, um, people really should be paying attention to Indiana a lot more. Um, it, it's, it's, a this effort for States to regulate these products, okay in this way mm-hmm. is this isn't going to be the last of it. You know, a lot of time we focus on the taxes and the place bans and raising the minimum age and child resistant, whatever. And, right. you know, all of the kind of common things, but the Indiana bill was sort of unique in that it actually went towards manufacturing standards and, um, you know, other things. It, 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 it tends to be more comprehensive mm-hmm. and, you know, Utah even has gone down that path. Right. So going forward, I 
suspect we're going to see more attempts at this. Mm -hmm. And it's just very important, I think, that people understand what has happened this year, what happened last year, (laughs) and be able to engage with lawmakers so that worst case scenario, we're going to end up with something workable. Right. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, that Indiana thing, the way it, my understanding, the way it's written and the way it stands, it, it, it looks to drive 90% of their businesses under. <sighs> I don't know what the numbers are. But I'm I'm only going it, just by just things I've seen. I, I don't really Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't have a count on it. I, I can say um with very, very little confidence, but I can say it that it is possible to meet these regulations and that's kind of the kind that's of. the that's the kicker. Like it's it looks like a de facto ban on the surface, but it's written in such a way and the options do exist for people to jump through these loopholes or, you know, or not, sorry, not, not loopholes, hoops. Oops. People can jump through the regulatory hoops and, and get there, but it's, yeah, it it definitely kind of shuts down that whole thing of like, hey, me and my buddy decided to make e-liquid one day, and now we're gonna open up a vape shop. Like that, yeah. that is done, and you know, arguably, in some cases, that's not such a bad thing. Um, but it doesn't have to be as extreme, I think, as what Indiana has put forward. Yeah. So anyway, enough commentating on that. I, and okay. I, you know, again, I'm, I'm a little out of my element. The point to bring it up was that you know, the the fight and the analysis and the the, the interest in Indiana, I you know, I personally feel like I've done a bit of a disservice here, and that I should be a lot more uh, engaged in this and and getting a better understanding for the for the reasons that I stated before. This is going to happen in other states. It may not be a carbon copy of this bill, but it will be attempts to regulate the manufacturing process. And um, so this is something that we all need to pay attention to going forward so we can have more intelligent conversations about it and, mm-hmm. and make sure make sure that we get something workable on the other side. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's that. I, I, um yeah, and then uh, tomorrow it's going to be sixty degrees and uh, <laughs> mostly mostly sunny skies here in in New York. Nice. And uh, that is the rosy weather forecast for this evening. Hey, that doesn't sound like too bad a day. Nope. I don't. Yeah, that's nice for this time of year up north. I'll take it. Yeah, I don't blame you. Are you feeling better? I am. I'm not. I'm not sick anymore. I, I got over my cold before I went to Detroit, so I'm happy about that. That's very good. It's it sucks flying when you're sick. Yeah. I don't. Do they even let people fly when they're sick anymore? Or? They do. Uh, in fact, it's probably easier to just fly when you're sick. I found that out the hard way. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, 
But yeah, I decided to take the high road and not infect everybody in the back of the plane with whatever nastiness that I had. So. <laughs> oh. All right. All right. So, yep. That's it for me. Okay. Um, we will see you next week. Um, possibly. I'll be traveling home next Monday. So, oh, okay. Um, um, I may not. I may or may not make it in time. Okay. I'll let you know, though. All right. And if right. we don't see you the week after that, thank you, Alex. Awesome. Thank you. Bye. Bye. I had to tell you, it kills me. Every year they have these meets up in Tampa and they have them right before I can ever take any vacation time. So I <laughs> never get to see anybody. Yeah. Kind of sucks. So, yeah. Oh, um, I did see something that I thought was kind of interesting. That Bloomberg says he's not going to run for president. Yeah, I said earlier, you know, he's, he's now publicly said he's not going to run. So, do you think he's going to run? <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> but it was just, it was weird to just see a whole big news story about it. I was like, oh, that's kind of nice. I wish a lot of people had thought like that, that they didn't want to run. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, there's ones running that shouldn't have run. Um, <laughs> going by their voting numbers so yeah yeah well, uh yeah yeah some of them are doing pretty freaking terrible okay um devices on public buses in maryland are listening to private conversations this i'm sure this shocks the hell out of everyone here <laughs> <laughs> maryland senate on third on i'm sorry tuesday Delayed action on a bill that would clamp down when public buses and trains can record the private conversations of their passengers. Senator Robert A. Zirkin, Democrat, Baltimore County, chair of the Senate Judicial Proceedings, which unanimously voted for the measure to move to the Senate floor, said he wanted the committee to address an amendment offered by some of those who are concerned about costs associated with the bill. The bill is likely to be considered by the Senate on Wednesday, he said. What the Maryland Transit Administration is doing is mass surveillance, Zirkin said. I find it outrageous, he said. I don't want to overstate it, but this is the issue of our generation. As technology advances, it becomes easier and easier to encroach on people's civil liberties. While Zirkin and other proponents argue that the technology, which has been in use since 2012, is an infringement on civil liberties, the bill's opponents say the recordings are a necessary tool for homeland security. The bill, which would affect MTA buses in the Baltimore area, ride-on buses in Montgomery County, and the bus in Princeton, I'm sorry, in Prince George's County, creates guidelines for audio recordings and places limits on when they can be made. MTA began using recording devices inside some of its buses in 2012 without seeking legislative approval. Nearly 500 of its fleet of 750 buses now have audio recording capabilities. Officials say the devices can capture important information in case of driver error or an attack or an altercation on a bus. Under the bill, recording devices would have to be installed near a bus or train operator's seat. These devices would be controlled by the driver and could be activated only in the event of a public safety incident. The legislation to limit the recordings came to the Senate floor last week, but a vote was delayed until Tuesday after several lawmakers requested questions about how much it would cost to retrofit or replace existing recording equipment to meet the bill's requirements. Some lawmakers raised the issues of security. Several asked for the delay to allow time to draft amendments. I can make 
an argument to tape everybody everywhere every everywhere they walk everywhere they talk and you can make the excuse for homeland security zirka had said but it is not a valid reason to encroach this fundamentally on people's privacy rights this is the fourth time in four years that the bill to limit the recordings has been introduced previous pieces of legislation have never made it out of committee but zirkin's committee unanimously approved of it this year senate president thomas w mike miller jr good god what a name indicated last week that he doesn't like the bill and would probably vote against it because he feels the limitations could compromise security and he does not want to incur the cost of replacing existing equipment. The Judicial Proceedings Committee will hear a testimony Tuesday afternoon on a bill that would change the way officers in Maryland are trained and the process they go through when they are accused of misconduct. This is a long list of things that Maryland's doing, but it's kind of nice to see somebody who actually gets the civil liberties and privacy still mean something yeah. it's a shame it's coming up against such authoritarians trying to get that fixed very well yeah i mean in the uk all, all the buses have cameras Any thoughts yeah uh, all, the, so, all the buses in the uk have cameras but they don't record audio oh hang on may have lost john are you there? Hello? Uh, Skype's hung up, I think. Hello? Hi, you there? Hello? 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 Can you hear me? Hello. I can hear you. Oh, no. Skype is... Skype is playing up. Yeah. I'm going to have to hang up and try again. Hello. Hello. Okay. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can everybody hear us? I think so. <laughs> okay. All right. So I was going to ask if you, um, what's the last thing you heard about Maryland? Oh, I, I heard the whole story. And I okay. was just saying, yeah, buses in the UK, they all have video cameras. But interestingly, right. they don't record the sound. Huh. No microphones. Um, so they still rely on witness statements rather than, and video evidence rather than any audio. Very For some reason, we're fine with videoing people, but not with recording audio. That's... I don't know. Something odd about our laws, but yeah. <sighs> well, I mean, at least they're consistent, I guess. Yeah. You know, you're not always hearing about uh, expenses or anything like that, which is kind of, that kind of kills me. You know, oh, they did this. Yeah. The more modern buses, it's quite funny. They've got monitors for you to watch. And, you know, there's monitors at each deck, and you can watch it flicking between the different cameras. <laughs> so you can watch the world going by. You, you can watch the scum uh, flying <laughs> up in the back of the bus when the camera flicks to them. You know, I think the idea of living on video, I think it was supposed to change our behavior. I don't know that it's done that so much. 
Over here, people who want to piss around just ignore it and get on with pissing around. They don't <laughs> care. Yeah. And then get all upset when they get put in court. <laughs> it's like, well, you, you committed a crime in front of a camera. What did you think was going to happen? <laughs> well, I mean, it's how many of your cameras actually work, though. You know what I mean? Uh, they, I've yet to be on a bus in the last 10 years where the cameras weren't working. Yeah. The bus um, companies here take it pretty seriously. <laughs> yeah. I could see where they would. Okay. Um, because we haven't had enough fun yet. Law enforcement next privacy overreach will be the metadata of things. If your internet thermostats pinging service all day with the cops think you're a weed farm or just a hot yoga gem. Governments around the world are legislating to collect metadata, usually with the excuse that modern crime fighting and national security efforts require access to records of citizens' communications. In many nations, that sparked what I call horizontal scope creep, in which, just as just one example, the Australian Health Practitioner Regulatory Agency wants access to metadata in order to identify and discipline doctors who are having affairs, uh, having affairs with their patients. There's another dimension to scope creep that has received far less attention to date, the vertical scope creep of collecting machine-generated traffic that leaves a growing fingerprint to identify the user. I'm talking about the Internet of Things, and I'm not the first person to notice that its traffic will be of interest to law enforcement. Harvard's Berkman Center in conversation with security experts, including the intelligence community, recently observed that the growing traffic footprint left by televisions, refrigerators, thermostats, home automation systems, mobile phones, garage door openers, and cars all leave a trail. And that trail is so broad that investigators may not need to worry so much about the increasing prevalence of encryption. In January, Princeton researchers put their flag in the ground saying that the ill-secured and chatty nature of the Internet of Things devices provides a detailed fingerprint of their owner's behaviors. In most cases, users have limited or no control over the device behavior. In all too many cases, the device won't function if it can't talk to its home server. It's almost certain that users are at best vaguely aware that the communications fingerprint exists at all. Someone who grabs their phone to dim the lights and adjust the air conditioner without leaving the lounge probably doesn't realize that their app might not talk directly to the controller down the hall. It's more likely that the app talks to the thing makers cloud services, partly because the vendors are wedded to a business model that demands they harvest even the most trivial user interactions for possible value. That means that the app on the phone will first infiltrate a DNS query to find the IoT vendor's cloud service and communicate directly with it. Those communications will traverse either the user's phone data connection or their broadband router, and in either case will create the kind of metadata the legislation and its accompanying regulations demand to be retained for two years. The vendor will then connect to the home broadband router and send the control command to the target device, once again creating metadata that will be stored somewhere. Every one of the proliferating catalogs of devices working to this model will add to the metadata store. Now consider just how informative this data can be. Merely knowing which hosts your devices talk to identifies what you own. Knowing when your security system contracts its vendor is a good indicator of when your house is empty, especially if you have a separate app-controlled door lock 
which calls home when it's activated or deactivated. A smart TV's fingerprint is probably different to that of a fridge, since the TV might be contacting its home server wherever it hears your voice, in case you want to change channels. And if you install the third-party electronic program guide, it'll contact that server, not to mention any other apps you've decided it needs. The sample of devices presents a pretty detailed picture of the life behind the IP address, and that's the problem. Raising these issues isn't about tinfoil hattery or paranoia. However, vertical scope creep exists in the context of the horizontal. The number and nature of bodies seeking access to retain data goes far beyond how world governments have presented the need for data retention. The AHPRA example mentioned above illustrates the trend well because the organization has identified metadata as a source to help it probe something that is neither criminal nor a national security matter. Worse, the retained metadata violates the privacy of a party to the communication. The patient, who might not even be behaving unethically. For example, both the doctor and patient may be single, and the patient's conscience can be clear. The AHPRA, excuse me, sorry, reckons gaining metadata access to phone records will tell it whether the doctor and the patient are constantly exchanging text messages, making it easier to confront the doctor with evidence. If the AHPRA or other organization in any nation also gains access to the IoT metadata, it will become possible to build a very detailed breadcrumb trail in Dade, down to an open door moments after a TV is turned off, in an approximate location to a moving smartphone that gazes at a geolocated Wi-Fi hotspot, which could add up to a house call, or a social call, or a booty call. It's whatever the data legislation plus regulations mandate must be retained, which in the case of what emanates from the doctor's broadband router includes kind of conversations outlined above. With this in mind, Vulture South two weeks ago asked Australian Attorney General's department, has it considered the surveillance potential of the Internet of Things device communications? Was this issue raised in any department consultations on implementing the data retention regime? Has anybody proposed a mechanism to limit excessive surveillance as a result of Internet of Things communication? We've not received a response and we don't expect one. They, they could do like a, a modern update to <coughs> Scooby-Doo. I would have got away with it if it wasn't for that darn fridge. <laughs> hmm. Wasn't there a problem with a fridge It was leaking Gmail data? Something and like that, yeah. Google Calendar data? It was, it was like broadcasting it. Yeah, G-Cal stuff, I think it was. Yeah. yeah, just freaky stuff. I'm like, okay. You know, I'm good with old but dumb technology. You know what I mean? I don't need that many active cool things connected to my broadband router. I'm fine with having a fridge that's stupid and a stove that's dumb and a toaster that's not going to, you know, listen to me. All this stuff, years ago, we thought people were crazy when they said, they're listening to our phone calls. They're surveilling us through our TVs. And now it's kind of a given um those people weren't crazy they just understood the trends that were going to be coming up better than we do and it's unfortunate because you should have some privacy in your life and the fact that your data is now a commodity more valuable than money and you are the product means you have no privacy from your government or from the corporations and I don't think anybody really wants to live that way. 
Michael Morris has brought up an interesting point. I yeah, got if, if you've if you've got one of those weird Bluetooth enabled D six, yeah. <laughs> they could potentially, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's that's the troubling thing about technology. I mean, as much as we think we understand its capabilities, we really don't. We just don't. We as the end user have barely scratched the surface. And I think in some cases, even the engineers who write code and who build the products have a limited understanding of how it's going to be used. Compartmentalization is really great. Yeah. Making sure nobody's got the whole picture. And that's how stuff like this happens. Everybody's compartmentalized. Nobody really understands that there's a bigger picture going on than what they see. I'm not sure how you fix that. Yeah, no idea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Me either. Me either. So, yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, this was kind of interesting. We've talked about um, basic income before. Yeah. So, okay. Canada. Finland and the Netherlands have already shown interest in giving people a regular monthly allowance regardless of working status. And now Ontario, Canada is on board. Ontario's government announced in February that a pilot program will be coming to the Canadian province sometime later this year. The premise send people monthly checks to cover living expenses such as food, transportation, clothing, and utilities. No questions asked. It's a radical idea and one that's been around since the 1960s. It's called basic income. In the decades since it was first proposed, various researchers and government officials have given basic income experiments a try to mixed results. Folks at the Basic Income Canada Network, the national organization promoting basic incomes, have high hopes. We need it rolled out across Canada and Quebec too is in the game, said the chair of the BICN, Sheila Rieger, in a statement. So there's no question why people and governments in other parts of the country need to sit on the sidelines. It's time for us all to get to work. Ontario officials haven't decided where or when exactly it'll roll out the program, nor how much each person will receive. And when it does, the money will come from a portion of Ontario's budget set aside for the experiment. In Finland, a small social democratic country, people will receive an additional 800 euros, or just shy of $900. In various cities throughout the Netherlands, people will receive an extra $1,000. Ontario, at least, doesn't seem to be spinning its wheels. Canada Federal Minister of Families, Children and Social Development, Jean-Yi Duclos, formally endorsed the experiment last month, saying that basic income merits a genuine discussion. There are many times of guaranteed minimum income, Duclos told the global media. I am personally pleased people are interested in the idea. In theory, basic income should work. While well, one knee-jerk reaction is to argue that free money creates a lazy working class, research suggests the opposite is true. Supported by the financial safety net, people in one 2013 study actually worked 17% longer hours and received 38% higher earnings when basic income was given a shot. In a country like Canada, where healthcare and retirement savings are already highly socialized, it isn't far-fetched to think a steady income paid for by the taxpayers could roll out smoothly. Yeah, I, keep I mean... That yeah, we know it works. I've seen all those TV programs about it. Uh, Star Trek, is it? <laughs> You're talking about a post-scarcity society, though. Yeah. 
I mean, don't get me wrong. I think when you get to the point where you actually have fleets of trucks that can drive on their own and they've replaced all the work that people like myself or people who work in restaurants can do with robots and machines, you're going to need something like that because there's going to be all these places making this stuff and what are they going to do with it? If no one has the money to buy it. You know, you see the problem, just like yeah. I see the problem. I mean, I don't, I don't know how you fix it. I do know that this idea is old as hell. And well, yeah, I, I like how they idea, say. So I think it's interesting. Yeah, I like how they say. You know, it's the idea has been around since the sixties. It's been around a lot longer than that. Mm-hmm. You know, some some ancient civilizations run on this principle. Um, some of the early Indic cultures. Yeah, back at the birth of civilization, it was all communal. Everybody just worked, and the whole tribe, as it were, um, mm-hmm. benefited. So yeah, nobody you know, was left behind. Nobody had to worry about anything. You know. Look, don't get me wrong. Um, the only problem I have with an actual like socialist form of anarchy which is like what I could actually see myself getting behind and supporting someday is the fact that everything becomes the commons do you know what I mean Mm, I have a real problem with I have a problem with that because I think property rights are a cornerstone of everything I if you are born right you are a living entity you are your own thing you have property rights over what happens to your own body. If everything becomes communal, then all of that's gone, and where goes the personal responsibility? That's like the only problem I have with this stuff. Um, um that, yeah, you're taking socialism to its ultimate end when you use that description. Well, um, apart from <laughs> Stalin. Uh, and <laughs> Mao. Nobody actually wants to go that far with socialism. They still believe in you own your own body and yeah. Yeah. So well, yeah. I, <laughs> I know. I'm just I'm just looking at it like theoretically from all sides. I mean, I think the freer a market is, the freer a people are supposed to be, but we've seen what has to happen in so many countries to implement a free market. So many countries that everybody claims are these glittering jewels that are proof of libertarian ideals. The way they got that way was by the slaughter of their middle class. You know, Pinochet. You know, he couldn't wait to implement all the Chicago libertarian ideas that were sent his way by Murray Rothbard. And a lot of people lost their lives in that. And as much as libertarians will tell you how great that society they built is and and all this stuff, it came on the backs of the working class. I have a real problem with that. I've tried to look at all sides of the history. Yeah, but all of the social structures humans have come up with are built on the backs of the working class. So, yeah. Right, but I'm talking about the bodies of the dead working class. Oh, yeah. I'm not talking... Capitalism does that, too. All of them do it. But what I'm saying is... I'm saying at at some point, 
everybody's life has to matter. I don't know. I don't have all the solutions. I just think it's an interesting idea because we're going to get post-scarcity at some point. How we get there, I have no idea, but I know it's coming. Technology is moving way too fast. So I try to keep an open mind about basic income and I try to think about if I had basic income, what would I do? You know what I mean? I, I would love to go to school to learn cyber security, learn to write programs and, and do all that stuff and have the time and energy to do it. Something like that would allow me to. Um, so to me, that's not bad because I could use that knowledge to help people. You know what I mean? It's something I would want to do, but I would want to help out humanity too. So it's, it's a, it's just a weird thing to look at history and how far it stretches and, and what happens. You know, that eventually you're probably going to be living at a point where we're actually post scarcity. Yeah. Getting there is going to suck. Just want to put that out there. But afterwards, everything's going to be different because they're going to have to fix the money or they're going to have to kill billions of us. So I like to think they're going to fix the money. I think most people don't have the stomach for wholesale slaughter. Am I wrong? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have a far more rosy opinion of people than I do. Yeah. I think people suck. I mean, individual humans are great. Groups of people are, are big, dumb animals. Individual humans are, are great. Yeah. That's I the like problem, you see. That's why there's always slaughter of millions. Because the bigger group is always willing to put the smaller niche groups to the wall if they think it's going to help the greater good in their mind. That's so, one of the problems with humans. So this, so this goes back to building a wall you wouldn't believe? Yeah. <laughs> people, people, people are tribal, whether they think they are or not. No, it's you know, true. You have every workplace has got its little cliques. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's how humans are. And when you get to the size of countries, yeah, you have the majority who will pick on the minority because they can. It's just how we are. I think we can Unfortunately. Do I really do think we can be better than that. If, if you took away at least some of the struggle, not all of it, and made daily living easier for people, they could do things in service of mankind. And I know that's all Star Trekky and first generation or next gen or whatever weirdness, but I'd like to think that's not wrong. Yeah. That at our core, we actually care about each other. That's what I want to think. Okay, um, and then now that I went totally off topic and off tangent again, because I do that, tech companies ask European Commission not to wreck the internet, and you can too. Late last year, we told you about a worrisome effort by the European Commission to settle the internet with unnecessary regulations. They released an online consultation, which was ostensibly part of an effort to create a digital single market. 
a good idea in the world of the borderless internet, but which appears to have been hijacked by some bureaucrats who saw it as an opportunity to attack big, successful internet companies and settle them with extra regulations. It's pretty clear that the statements and the questions the commission is very focused on somehow attacking Google and Facebook, and we won't even get into the fact that the people who are looking to regulate the internet couldn't even program a working online survey form properly. However, as we noted, Google and Facebook are big enough that they can handle the hurdles the EU seems intent on putting on them. It's the startups and the smaller tech firms that cannot. The end result, then, would actually be to entrench the more dominant players. We created a survey guide for those who wish to fill out the long, arduous survey, and many of you did, as a follow-up to that by our think tank, the Copia Institute. We've now spearheaded a follow-up effort, which we've put on the Don't Wreck the Net site. It's a letter to the EU Commission signed by a number of internet companies and investors who care deeply about keeping the internet open and competitive. You can see, I'm sticking that in the chat for anybody who's interested. Let's don't wreck the net. Okay. It's a letter to the EU Commission signed by a number of internet companies and investors who care deeply about keeping the internet open and competitive. You can see by the letter on that site it has already been signed by investors such as Union Square Ventures, Homebrew, and a bunch of great internet companies, including Reddit, Medium, DuckDuckGo, Patreon, Automatic, WordPress, Yelp, Cloudflare, Cloudflare Shapeways, and more. Before sending it on to the EU, however, we'd love to get some more companies, entrepreneurs, technologists, investors, and more signed on. So if you go to Don't Wreck the Net site, not only can you see the letter we're sending, but you also have the ability to sign on. If you're signing on yourself, that's easy. If you're signing on behalf of your organization, then we'll need to reach back to you to obtain proof that you have the ability to sign on. So, yeah, um, I just thought people would be interested in that because don't wreck the net seems kind of like an important thing. Yeah. I like the internet the way it is. I think most people do. Uh, let's not fuck it completely up so that there's nowhere to go and spread different ideas and thoughts and knowledge and make friends <laughs> let's not let them take that shit away yeah we wouldn't be able to do the show if they screwed up the internet well they screw up the internet plenty and we still do the show <laughs> <laughs> oh i guess that's hang on let me check my show notes i i forget what i write um yeah okay I accomplished everything that I said I would for tonight, so I guess that's it. Um, Muppets and Advert? Muppets and Advert. Why do we always come here? I guess we'll never know. It's like a kind of torture to have to watch the show. Why spend hours searching for in-stock ammunition when you can use AmmoSeek.com? AmmoSeek.com is a search engine for finding ammunition, reloading components, magazines, and guns for more than 300 calibers at more than 60 online retailers. AmmoSeek.com only shows items that are in stock and readily available for shipping. You can search by caliber, grains, manufacturer, and more. The results are displayed by cost per round, so you are able to get the very best pricing on your ammunition of choice. Find ammunition at the best prices, fast. Amoseek.com. Thanks for listening, guys. See you next week. Have a good night. Is X Files back? No.